0: Australia hasn't won this match in 12 years.
1: It's time for the match. The netball world has been waiting for. The Commonwealth Games gold medal is at stake and with it the chance to make history. It's defending Commonwealth champions, New Zealand versus the world champions, Australia.
0: This is a big deal. The two best teams in the world meeting on one of the biggest stages in the world, the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And both have an opportunity to do something that no team has ever done.
1: Today's winner will become the first country to win three Commonwealth gold medals for New Zealand. It would be three on the trot. While Australia, well they haven't stood on top of the podium since 2002 when they collected their second.
0: Australia versus New Zealand is one of netball's great rivalries. A history of competition separated by a handful of goals. Moments, just tiny moments, are the difference between these two teams. 116 times they've played, 50% of those matches have been won by five goals or less, so I think we're in for another cracker. Coming into this match, New Zealand is second to Australia's number one world ranking, but A generation of Australian players have missed out on this gold medal. And if they miss out again, it's going to be four years before they get another shot. But this time, the Australians have a secret weapon. A school of fish. I'm Joel Werner, this is Sum of All Parts, and today, it's Shoal Attack. Okay, so quick timeout. Now, if you're not sure what netball is, it's kind of like basketball. basketball. Basketball.
2: Basketball. Basketball without dribbling. No and no backboard. Board. We have a slightly smaller ball. You're not allowed to bounce the ball. You're not allowed to move with the ball. There's seven people on each team. The aim is to score as many goals as you can and stop your opponent from shooting goals. And it sounds very confusing, but it's a really exciting game to play and an even fun game to watch, so get around it. Okay, that's netball. Now, if you don't
0: know what the Commonwealth Games is, it's kind of like the Olympics but for countries that are part of the Commonwealth of Nations which is pretty much countries that were formerly part of the British Empire which is pretty weird when you think about it so maybe try not to think about it too much but look, even though it is essentially a mini Olympics for non-Olympic sports like netball the Commonwealth Games is as big as it gets all of the best teams in the world are here but only one of them gets to take home gold and for the past 12 years that team Has been New Zealand. In spite of the gold drought, Australia has come close. Just four years earlier at the 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi, again the gold match was between New Zealand and Australia, and again it was close. Like as close as a game's ever been at this level kind of (laughs) close. From the opening whistle, it goes goal for goal. And then we're tied up.
1: Neck and neck. At the moment, it's a one goal game.
0: And for an hour, this is pretty much how the game goes Australia score a goal, New Zealand score a goal. Mouth lifting. New Zealand score a goal, Australia score a goal. Until the very end of regular time when Australia score a goal. And uh, brings them back
1: level again. And it's we a- could go into extra time here.
0: And we do and extra time pretty much follows the same pattern as the rest of the match.
3: 50-50. That's
1: a statement on the game, isn't it? Does netball get any better than this? If she converts, they'll play until one team is two ahead. Here we go again.
0: So, double extra time, sudden death, the first team to lead by two wins the gold. And it's still goal for goal.
3: Oh, 63 apiece.
1: This will go down as one of the all-time great sporting contests. Forget the code, forget the era.
0: But then... New Zealand are in front by one. If they score here, the Silver Ferns, they've won it. It's
1: in the hands of the one person we'd rather not have it. And that is it.
3: Great win. Marvellous contest.
0: New Zealand win gold. It's the longest match in the history of the sport.
2: They just gave it everything and Maria Toutaire, the great athlete, the is, put that shot in in extra overtime and I always use that as an example of how much we have to do. That game went for 85 minutes at absolute high intensity and the pain of defeat is sometimes too much and it took a long time to get over that.
0: Three years after that heartbreaking loss, the Australian netball team is gearing up for the 2014 Commonwealth Games. And as part of their rebuilding process,
4: they welcome a new recruit to the coaching staff. Uh, My name's Mitchell Mooney and I'm a senior performance analyst here at the Australian Institute of Sport.
0: Mitch is a bit of a fish out of water. Fresh from a PhD with the University of Ballarat and the Essendon Football
2: Club, Mitch is an Aussie rules guy. He's not of this world. I mean, he doesn't know netball and didn't know netball. He knows it much better now. That's Lisa Alexander, the
0: head coach of the Australian netball team.
2: But he started off as an AFL player. He had that experience and background, so he had to fight through a little bit of ego there from some of our coaches.
0: But right away, Mitch makes clear that he's not gonna be just another performance analyst.
2: He said to me, Lisa, I'm not gonna be just filming and collecting data for you. That's just totally boring. If you want me to do that, I'm not doing that. And I was a bit shocked, but he was exactly correct. There's no point. I can get anyone to do that, really. But what I needed to do was access all of Mitch's capacity to analyse and give me another point of view.
0: So Mitch sets about finding a different way to think. And to start, he critiques
4: the way he's always worked. I actually tell a story of how I was wrong in my whole PhD. I spent three years of my life dedicated to doing these analyses and ended up having an incorrect view of how performance worked. So there's nothing wrong with the science of what I did, but the interpretation and the background concept was wrong and I started doing a bit of reading around the dynamical systems modelling and that's quite a complicated and hard thing to get your head around when you haven't been exposed to it a great deal.
0: The thing that helps Mitch get his head around this idea more than anything, the moment that he realises that this might be that other point of view that Lisa asked him to find,
4: that moment comes in the form of an online video. It's not a TED Talk exactly, but it's sort of... The, the title of it is, If Russell Aikoff had given a TED Talk, it would be this. Uh, coming
0: as I do at the end of a distinguished line of speakers, I feel like a pornographic movie being shown to people who have just engaged in sex. <laughs> This is Mitch's entry point into a new way of thinking, a way of thinking based around this idea that the whole is greater than the
4: sum of its parts. And it's absolutely brilliant, and he explains it so well where he uses an example of a car and says that... The essential property of an automobile
3: is it can carry you from one place to another. No part of an automobile can do that. The wheel can't, the axle can't, the seat can't, the motor can't. The motor can't even carry
4: itself from one place to another. But the automobile can. So you have to think of things in holes and how the elements actually interact with each other to create that hole. Because
0: the system is not the sum of the behaviour of its parts, it's the product of their interactions. And Mitch thought, well, if this metaphor works for a car, then maybe it also works for
4: a netball team. So in netball, your midcourt's like your engine, <laughs> the engine room, and your defence is like your brakes, <laughs> and your shooters are like your accelerators. So, you know, the analogy seems to work.
0: But this idea, it's more than a cute analogy. It's actually the foundation stone for a relatively new scientific discipline that's been built up around this idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. It's the branch of science called collective behaviour and it was about to become the Australian netball team's unfair advantage. To see this science in action, let's head underground to a sweaty laboratory at the University of Sydney.
3: Very humid in here, so. Then these are an extremely collective species, this is, these are tetras, these are from South America. These are really, really super tight-shoulding uh, fish. So, okay, we're here in the, uh, the fish lab here at the University of Sydney. Although we're studying fish, what we're hoping to do is to find out more about a range of other animals and the collective behaviour of other animals. And it often comes as a really big surprise to people to learn that the collective behaviour of fish in one of these tanks is also very similar to the behaviour of humans.
0: Ash Ward is a professor of life and environmental sciences, and he studies this idea that lots of things, from a flock of birds to a shoal of fish to a crowd of humans, when individuals get together, they act as a cohesive group.
3: These animals look as though they're all of one mind. They look as though they're all connected by some kind of collective consciousness. And in fact, that's what people used to think. They used to think that somehow each of these individual animals in these aggregations were tapping into some kind of collective consciousness. But the really exciting thing for me is learning that, actually, that's almost the complete opposite of what's happening. What is happening is that each animal is simply responding to its near neighbors, and that can explain all of these beautiful patterns. And some people don't like this kind of reductionist approach, but I think understanding the mathematical basis for it makes it more exciting, more beautiful. And that
0: mathematical basis, the science that underpins this idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is a direct byproduct of the technological revolution.
3: I think it really coincided with the development of computer programming and individual-based models and people really playing around on computers to produce simulations of animal behavior. And what they found was that if you gave some simple rules to some little dots moving around on a screen, If you're too close together, move apart. If you're too far apart, move together. And if you're just at the right distance apart, the kind of Goldilocks distance apart, then copy what your near neighbours are doing. And they found that they were able to replicate the same incredible patterns that you see in nature that animals produce.
0: Which, you know, is great in theory, but dots on a screen are a
3: long way from a school of fish. Wonderful though these theoretical experiments were, they still need validation. They still need experimental assessment. And that's really where we came in. We developed experiments here at the University of Sydney in conjunction with people at other universities around the world. And we started to actually physically test these ideas. And what we found was that actually the computer guys had done an extremely good job because it really did seem like these simple rules of attraction, repulsion and alignment were enough to explain the main parts of collective behavior.
0: So, what this means is, say you're a fish, and you're just hanging out in a group of fish. Now, all you're doing is minding your personal fish space. You're paying attention to the two, three, four fish around you, making sure you don't get too close, but not too far away either. And that's it, that's all you're thinking about. But when you zoom out, all of those individual fish just checking their personal space. They've created this majestic seething shoal spiraling through the ocean, seemingly of a single mind, but not. And that's what really blows my mind about this idea. The individuals in the group aren't even aware of the complex patterns that they're producing. Birds don't think about flocking and fish don't think about shoaling. These patterns, these behaviours, just spontaneously emerge from the simple interactions between individuals. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts.
3: And it's not just fish. Human listeners, you do this too one of the things that really stuck with me which amazed me and which people kind of rebel against to an extent is the fact that there's incredible similarities incredible congruence between different species so if we take the movement of a fish shoal at a mathematical level and then take the movement of say sheep or human crowds the similarities are dramatic there are differences of course I'm not saying that we're sheep or that we're fish but the similarities are incredible and it's that that gives me the encouragement that you know we can start with some experiments on fish which after all can be done in relatively little space, relatively quickly, that we can generate ideas that we can then test in other species and potentially have real-world outcomes.
0: Real-world outcomes like a elite-level netball! Inspired by research like Ashes, Mitch Mooney starts to figure out how the science of
4: collective behaviour could give the Australian netball team a competitive edge. The initial project that we did was... We wanted to know a bit more about New Zealand, so what tendencies did they have, were there any things that they typically did that could give us some sort of knowledge that we could use and I thought well if we actually looked at a team like New Zealand, like England, like Jamaica as a biologist does, as like a schooling fish, as a collective behaviour as opposed to individuals doing stuff, maybe that can actually give us some sort of advantage on the court. Maybe we could come up with a strategy that might be able to address the collective behaviour more so than the individual.
0: So instead of coming up with tactics to try to win the one on one, player on player matchups, Mitch starts thinking about the New Zealand team as a whole and comes up with tactics that could work against that whole. It's a pretty out-there idea, but luckily, Mitch has the complete support of head coach Lisa Alexander.
2: I've always been a bit of a science nerd, I suppose, nerd in inverted commas, because I was quite different. I was a real sports jock at school, but I also did science and physics and maths. And I guess that connection between sport and academic work just came natural to me. It's always been that way.
0: Before she was head coach of the Australian netball team, Lisa
4: Alexander was a high school science and maths teacher. She loves this stuff. She gets really excited when you're thinking a bit outside the box, when you're incorporating different sciences. And when I sort of explained that this is what we were doing, she was actually very excited and thought that there was a lot of potential in this sort of method and really wanted me to explore that and, yeah, suggested that we spend a bit of time on it.
0: How much time did you spend on it?
4: Uh, We spent about six months in total on it. So, between the time of firstly conceptualising, yes, we wanted to do a scouting project, and then delivering it to the playing group was about six months' worth of work.
0: In figuring out how to analyse the collective behaviour of the New Zealand netball team, Mitch adopts a similar scientific method to researchers like Ash Ward. At the heart of both their work is video footage. Hours and hours and hours of video footage. In Ash's case, it's videos of fish shoals that he's filmed in his lab, but for Mitch, it's netball matches. A lot of netball matches. Both scientists use software to analyse the footage and both are
4: looking for similar things in it. So we're looking for cues that might tell us an emergence of a pattern. While Ash looks for cues in the behaviour of
0: individual fish that might predict a particular pattern at the shoal level, Mitch looks for things
4: that individual players do that might predict a pattern of play at the team level. You can't independently evaluate a player without understanding what that player's role is in the team, so how that player is supposed to interact with all other players on the court. So I thought, well, are there any simple localised rules that, say, a New Zealand and England or Jamaica are doing that could give us a really decent indication of what their intent is? And that's typically missing in performance analysis is understanding what the intent is. That's kind of like the holy grail. If you know what someone's intent is before they do, just like in medicine, the secondary prevention idea of knowing when a disease will break out before it breaks out, same goes in team sport. It's if you know the intent then you can actually put in a preventative measure to stop it even before it occurs. If we can understand the local rules that are governing the intent, then we can do something about it strategically.
0: And so what did you find out about New Zealand? What are those rules?
4: Well, then we would be giving away our competitive
0: advantage, (laughs) wouldn't we? (laughs) Okay, so Mitch can't be specific about what his research uncovered, but basically he identified three on-court scenarios that, if they learn to recognise them, the Australian team could use to predict what the New
4: Zealanders are going to do next, which potentially gives them a huge advantage. When you've got intelligence that is in some way predictive, then you can do one of three things. You can stop it occurring even before it starts. You can set up a trap or you can do a combination of both. It was
0: as if Mitch had found a copy of the Silver Ferns playbook, but more than that. This isn't just a series of moves or a set of tactics to exploit. Through his analysis, Mitch uncovered a style of play that was intuitive, that had been hardwired into these players over decades. Just like the shoaling fish, this wasn't something that was under their conscious control. This was collective instinct, bred in, hardwired instinct. And get this, it's not just New Zealand. Every nation he analysed, New Zealand, England, Jamaica, and yeah, he even ran the analysis on his own team, Australia. Each nation has their own quantifiable
4: patterns of play. So all four countries have their own culturally significant way of playing. It's almost like a different species. That is, analysed at the
0: team level, each nation's pattern of play was different and unique to them. But, and here's where it gets weirder, these nation-specific patterns aren't even unique to the national and elite teams.
4: So we're seeing a cultural significance of the way that they're playing that's been unearthed through juniors all the way up through the seniors. It's the way New Zealand think that netball ought to be played. Same goes with Australia. Australia believe that netball ought to be played in a certain way. So does England, so does Jamaica, so does every other country. And they play it accordingly. But what we're trying to do is uncover what are the associated rules with those ways of playing. What Mitch did with
0: his collective behaviour analyses is some super innovative, really cool science. But it counts for nothing unless it can be implemented.
2: At the end of the day, as I've said to Mitch, he can be as smart as he likes, but if he can't explain that to our athletes, then there's no point.
0: So, how do you tell a group of the world's most elite athletes that this new intel you've got on their opposition? Well,
4: it kind of starts with schooling fish. I used schooling fish. So I just got a few videos of schooling fish that had this really big spiral. It looked beautiful. It was great.
2: Yeah, well, I'm an animal lover, so I was like, yes, David Attenborough, This is what I'm about. And when he put it on the screen, everyone was like, what the heck? Just couldn't believe that
1: he'd come up with this idea that a school of fish can relate to us and our netball team.
2: We thought it was really funny. We were like, why are you showing us a school of fish just swimming around in a circle? And then it made so much sense when he said, all right, now think of that as you guys. Yeah, we all thought he was a bit crazy, but there was method to his madness.
0: (laughs) Once Mitch has explained the general concept of collective behaviour, it's down to business. There's intel to deliver, tactics to be developed and training to be done. But when it comes to putting the idea, the research findings into practice, both Mitch and Lisa are all about empowering the athletes, not lecturing to them.
4: So we sort of said to the players, now you've got those three options. It's up to you what you want to do with that. They're at expert levels. They've been playing the sport for 15 to 20 years. They know how the game works. They also know how to create these opportunities for themselves. So we felt that it would be best if we let them do that and use the coaches as the check and balance points of those ideas. With the
0: 2014 Commonwealth Games fast approaching and the team's preparation intensifying, it becomes pretty clear that the Diamonds have fully embraced the school of fish metaphor.
2: We did a lot of work going through our strategies, looking at all the countries
4: we were playing, Wales, of course. We were trying to figure out Wales, because our first opponent in the Commonwealth Games was Wales. And we are like, yeah, cool, Wales awesome this is sick and now we're going to talk about whales and he's like no we're playing whales the country whales and so we were all like
2: thrown and like no we want whales how cool would that be the girls thought they were going to be analysing actual whales maybe humpback whales or the great
4: blue so they remembered the idea which is great which is good positive reinforcement for the message
2: so that was always a great story to tell
4: Which brings
0: us back to where we started, the 2014 Commonwealth Games gold medal match.
2: I think it might have actually been the last medal to have been awarded at the Commonwealth Games and it was the traditional rivals of Australia versus New Zealand in the netball. So there was a lot a lot kind of building up to it and um, it was an incredibly exciting game.
4: There'd been a lot of games, big games, like the World Cup and Commonwealth Games that had gone to overtime and only been separated by a goal. So no team was could legitimately be declared a favourite, in my opinion. Mitch, Lisa and the team
0: had done all they could off-court to integrate this new way of thinking and these new tactics into the team's game plan.
4: But the ultimate experiment is how you implement that on game day, so that's the true test of whether it actually works or not. So,
0: with everything on the line, years of training, years of analysis, the two best teams in the world competing for the Commonwealth Gold Medal a match Australia hasn't won in 12 years. Finally, it's game day.
1: And now things just go up another level. It is the gold medal match at Netball Glasgow 2014. the 2014 Commonwealth Games, make some noise. Show your support for Australia. The battle for the gold begins. New Zealand versus Australia.
0: So, the match gets underway. Australia armed with their secret weapon, the three rules derived from Mitch Mooney's school of fish analysis, and nothing much changes. Just like in 2010, just like every time these two teams play, it's goal for goal for goal.
1: Well, seven all, what a (laughs) surprise. Yeah, a nice steady start from both teams. We know it's gonna come down to the wire. So we're really back to where we started. Level, again, 18-all, 19-all. So dramatic end to the first half, and halftime, it's Australia leading New Zealand 28-24.
0: A late run of goals sees Australia go to halftime with a lead, but really, it's not all that different to how this match played out four years ago. Maybe the school of fish idea just hasn't had the impact they hoped it would.
2: I remember going back to the rooms at halftime and we'd never played in that stadium. It was the first time. So the rooms were a little bit unfamiliar. So you're always a little bit more tense. And I was thinking, I think we're going okay. And we got into the room, we got into our areas and I could just feel the shift in the players. They knew they had to kick up that next gear and we'd practised it the whole four years before really, and they weren't gonna let it slip. There was no way, there were a couple of players in there that played in 2010 in Delhi, and they knew the pain of losing, and it's not nice. So I think they use that. The fear of failure is an enormous motivator.
4: watching the game myself from up in the stands, so from a high point of view, you could see the strategy actually playing out and you could see it working in parts, but you could also see that we were starting to figure out little tweaks to the tactics as we went. And in that third quarter, we started to really break the game open and get a lot of turnover ball, particularly in the goal circle, which was fantastic. And it gave us a lot of opportunity down the court as well.
1: So again, the
2: Australians force New Zealand into an error. And everyone knew what Rule 3 was. I, I, as a centre, run back to the transverse line, look at the wing defence and go, "Okay, yep, we know exactly what they're doing in Rule 2, Rule 2.
1: And look how easy. Australia make it look. They've made New Zealand pay for virtually every error they've made. Australia have started this third quarter
2: with a rush of goals. I think a lot of what we were trying to do was predict the opposition's movements rather than being really reactive to what they were doing and to have studied that particular group as a collective group. We had done a lot of that work to be able to predict and and you know know where our intercepts or know where we could break through what they were doing collectively. Right, keep it going, every ball. Right? Counts on it and then hard right into attack. Let's go.
4: And that's what I was seeing. They were implementing the strategy, the passes that New Zealand had to make had to be perfect to work. And to their credit, they were doing that for the first half. But just as with anything, a small error here or a small pass deficiency there can actually mean all the difference. And if you're well prepared and you can do your work early, and anticipate these things, it gives you a great advantage.
1: Nothing much Langland could do with that. Yeah, the wheels are falling off New Zealand here, and Australia can feel it. Australia firmly in control in the third quarter.
4: As soon as it started to get past ten, I think we started to feel like we were well on our way to winning it.
1: Slipping away from the Kiwis really good performance from the Aussies so far. They've hardly missed a shot and they've hardly made a mistake. This is, you know, almost as good as you can get in terms of a performance under this sort of pressure. Yes, the heroics of Delhi are a long way away now, four final years ago. And this is a very Sorry, different final finals match. Australia totally dominant. They know that this one's theirs. These Australian supporters are about to launch into Party time in Glasgow.
2: I don't think I've ever enjoyed a last quarter like that. I remember Steve Hawkins, our physio at the time. I was just going for it with my coaching, which I always do, because I don't want to let the players down. And he leant across to me and he put his hand on my knee. And Steve and I are very close. We've known each other for a long time. And he said, Lisa, I think you can just now enjoy it. And I just stopped and I nearly teared up, which I am now. (laughs) And he said, just enjoy it. And it was amazing. Oh, goal attack, penalty.
1: The Diamonds Commonwealth drought has broken. Gold medal, Australia and Glasgow.
0: After years of one point games, extra time, and sudden death playoffs, Australia beat New Zealand by 18 goals. Now, nobody's saying it was all the fish. New Zealand had a tough tournament, they suffered a lot of injuries, and Australia were in particularly good form. But at this elite level of the game where so little splits the teams, it doesn't take much. Maybe just an idea to make all the difference. And when you hear the players talk about the school of fish and what it's come to mean to them, you realise just how important this idea is to Australian netball.
4: I never thought I'd be doing an interview about Schools of Fish to start, but no, I think it's just all about those one percenters that everyone talks about. What are those little winning one percenters that each team does to be successful or be at the top of their game? And Mitch has got such a creative and weird and quirky brain that just looks completely outside, I guess maybe an athlete's obvious decision-making choices. And that's what you sometimes need is to put things into perspective and look at things differently and go, hang on, how can I translate that onto a netball call? and the School of Fish concept has stuck with us for for many, many years and we still talk about it today, obviously.
2: As we have new players join the group, we start talking to them about collective behaviour
4: first because that was a building block for us. It's kind of cool to look back at that and go, oh yeah, I remember when we won a gold medal, I was talking about School of Fish. How weird. In the New Zealand media after the game, when they were trying to explain what happened, Maria Toutaire suggested that it was as if we just knew where they were going to throw the ball. And in some strange way, we kind of did.
0: Some of All Parts is produced by me, Joel Werner, Jonathan Webb's science editor, Sophie Townsend's story editor and sound design by me and Mark Don. Special thanks to the Australian netball team, but in particular, Mitch Mooney, Lisa Alexander, Caitlin Bassett, Shani Leighton, Tegan Phillip, Kim and Maddie Robinson and Caitlin Thwaites. They're some of the fittest people in the world and I can't even get through all their names without getting puffed. Thanks to Alex Dandanas from Netball Australia and Karen Warner from the AOS for all your help making this happen. And also to Silver Fern goal shooter Maria Toutayer and Kerry Manders from Netball New Zealand. A huge thanks to Professor Ash Ward and his team for letting us poke around their fish lab and stick microphones in their tanks. You can come behind the scenes at both the fish lab and the Diamonds training camp in an online feature I produced with Teresa Tan. Just head to abc.net.au slash soap. Yep, that's soap. It stands for Sum of All Parts. And follow your nose. And if you have a story that has a number involved in some way, or someone you know does, or if you were at a party once and that drunk guy just wouldn't shut up about how he always looks at the clock when it's 11.11, but then he actually blacks out at 11.11, if you have a story like that, let me know. Email soap at abc.net.au
2: and who knows, maybe we can tell a story together someday. But for now, that's it.